look at what consumers actually do. So whether you're watching a mom get in a car or if you're watching uh, somebody chop with a knife, you will see compensating behaviors. And it's in those compensating behaviors that you say, why do they do that? And so if you approach people in the organization and say, why do you think that person does that compensating behavior? It helps people everywhere, whether it's in R&D or sales, say, gee, I wonder if they're doing it because of why. And then you say, well, what could we do to deliver why without having that compensating behavior in the middle? And it becomes a team effort. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Good day, listeners. I've got a treat in store for you today with Chris Malkowski, who is been an international business leader for more than 30, that's right, 30 years as CEO, COO, President, VP, and General Manager in public and private branded consumer packaged goods and hardline companies. So she's really served in so many different, different leadership pos, uh, positions. And in 2020, Chris joined Newell Brands. That's right. Newell Brands, that one that you know, as CEO of Home Solutions, managing global iconic brands that you've heard of like Rubbermaid, Hello, Cafalon, Ball, Food Saver, Yankee Candle. And she's driven over 50% revenue with her team and operating growth income despite COVID headwinds, including inflation, labor, and supply challenges, which we've all been reading about all over the place impacting the globe. And as a member of the Newell executive team, Chris oversees $2.6 $2.6 billion in revenues and over 8,500 employees. She's also served as CEO of the Americas for ARC International and president and COO of World Kitchen, transforming global revenue and profit from a seven-year decline into a into five years of significant growth. Hallelujah. She's also actually began her, her career over at Procter & Gamble, which we'll touch base on, and she served on the boards of Fluidmaster, Trustmark Mutual Insurance Company and Bonfi Vineyards and, or I should say Banfi. Chris, am I getting that right? Ban, yes. Banfi Vineyards, Banfi. which which sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> and Chris, and, and wrapping this up, I'm telling you, this, her, her credentials are, are incredible here. And Chris has also participated on not-for-profit board serving as president for the Hensdale Center for Arts and the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music as a board member of the Cincinnati Ballet and the University of Nebraska Foundation. She's graduated, if you can't tell, from the University of Nebraska. Dude, her her accolades there. And she's received her Six Sigma certification from Villanova, the basketball powerhouse. (laughs) Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. And I actually will add that last Monday, 
I was also given responsibility for the writing division at Newell, which includes great brands like Sharpie and Papermate. And so now we've got Sharpie. So thank you. Yes. Yes. So my daughter is my daughter confiscates them all the time for me, though, and then I can't seem to find them. (laughs) Well, a huge congratulations on that, too, is if you don't have enough on your plate, let's throw a little bit more on there (laughs) with the writing division. That that is exciting times. Well, so let's so all these all these accolades and responsibilities, but let's I want to go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning. What was your first job? And tell us a little bit about what you've learned during that period and how it influences your leadership today. Yeah, so my first job was in brand management at Procter & Gamble. And in that job, I really learned how to identify unmet consumer needs and then Mm. create new products that could deliver on those needs, which has set me up for a career of uh, launching new brands and finding new technologies to bring to the marketplace for consumers. Um, John Pepper was the CEO when I was at P&G, and I really tried to model his approach to business understanding and deep mm-hmm. consumer insights to help me get to where I am today. Wow. Well, so what was it like interviewing for that job? <laughs> well, that was a funny story. So the first person I sit in front of was a Harvard MBA, Rad Ewing, great mind, brilliant person. And he said, Chris, tell me about your first paid job, what you did and what you learned from the experience. And I thought to myself, my first paid job. And I said, do you really want me to tell you about my first paid job? And he said, please. I said, okay, here it goes. When I was five years old, my parents paid me 10 cents for every case of eggs, which is 144 eggs to pull them out of the chicken coop, wash them so we could sell them to the grocery store. And what I learned from that is the eggs that come out of a chicken coop are much dirtier than the eggs you buy at the grocery store. (laughs) Organic. (laughs) I guess Brad didn't realize he was talking to a farm girl from Nebraska in the interview. (laughs) Yeah. So let's, let's deep dive into that. So Nebraska is a beautiful state, a very big state. What was it like growing up there? You know, you learn the meaning of hard work and work ethic. Um, We uh, milked 50 head of cows uh, and cows have to be milked morning and evening every 12 hours. So um, I saw my family uh, get up early and uh, get the work done. Uh, So I felt it really helped set the course for me to understand the hard work that's needed to get ahead in life. Yes, I've got family in the farming business, and there are no off days, uh, unless you're fortunate to grow big enough where you can have some help on the farm. But still, it seems like everyone's getting involved in one way or another all the time. And uh, did you ever think that you'd end up in the C-suite back in the day? That really wasn't uh, something to dream about because I didn't know anybody who was in a C-suite at the time. Mm -hmm. But what I can tell you is we listened to um, the markets and looked at pork belly futures and things like that. When we were at the dinner table, we would listen to the radio. And I learned more about business and planning than I ever thought. And so as I got into my career and found what I love to do, uh, the C-suite suddenly became a reality that uh, has been delivered. Wow. 
it just, I mean, uh, what a cool gig. So you think, you know, Chris is growing up on a farm. She's not learning about business. Well, yes, she is. She's thinking she's learning about futures. And I know I haven't really thought about that, but farming is all about planning. If you're not planning, you ain't going to be farming for long, right? Because you're looking throughout the year, the planting season, everything's got to sync up, right? That's true. Yes. You probably learn about insurance. You probably, oh, I yes. mean, you're, you're learning about a lot of things that a lot of people don't think about, uh, you know, at that early age. Wow. What a cool experience to, to have. And it sounds like it's really shaped you as a leader. Um, so what advice looking back over that time, uh, what advice would you give your younger self today, or maybe something new that you would tell them to try? Yeah, so you can imagine when I arrived at Procter & Gamble, the recruiting class and the people around me had all gone to prestigious MBA programs, and I really didn't feel like I fit. So for the first, call it 10 years, I tried to be somebody that I thought others wanted me to be. Hmm. And somewhere around the 10-year mark, I with three babies and a husband who was living in Asia, I said, I can't be someone else anymore. I have to be myself. And I coined a phrase uh, that I called live, laugh, love, and let go. Mm. And really tried to drive my life by that going forward. So what does that mean? Live means live your life to the fullest. If you're at work, give your very best at work. If you're at home parenting, be the best parent you can be. And then love, you got to love what you do. You can't go to a job every day that you don't enjoy because it's going to be that much harder. Laugh is probably the most important. You got to see the humor in every day and be able to laugh at yourself and to laugh mm. with others. And then finally, let go. You know, everybody makes mistakes. We all do something that we cringe and say, oh, that was really stupid. But don't dwell on that because it's, you're not going to change the past. You just need to keep looking forward and let go of the past and live for the future. Man, what a powerful expression we're saying to share with people. It means a lot. I mean, anybody can say this, but when you're coming from the C-suite, it's like, wow, really let go? How do you let go of the pressures of work when you have the pressures of uh, family, employees, team, investors, uh, what, what advice do you have for people who say, okay, live. Okay. I love that laugh. Yes. Love, but let go. I mean, how in the world will I let go when there's so much riding on my performance? It's, it's not hard and it really encompasses all facets of life. I remember when I did have three children in 20 months and uh, all the mothers would bake homemade cookies to bring to the preschool for when there was a May festival or things like that. And I forgot. And so I stopped at the grocery store and picked up some uh, ho-hos and brought them. And all the mothers looked at me and said, oh, I can't believe you didn't make cookies for this. Those are home-baked cookies. I know. But I guess you. what? The ho-hos were picked first by the kids <laughs> and they enjoyed them. <laughs> But, you know, the same is true with work. It, you, we do the best we can. And if we keep being transparent about the decisions we make, uh, try to do what's right for the people, mm. right for the business, right for the long haul, not just mm. the short term, 
you can let go because you know you are creating the path and the destination that is going to get you to a better place. So I like that. So for the listeners, Chris, I hear that. It's like, hey, remember the long game because maybe facing a stressful situation today, but this is a blip. Or maybe you're accelerating something amazing, a huge win, but this too shall pass. So play the long game. Letting go also means letting go of your huge wins because you don't want to put too much emphasis and get too high on that, but it's to remain, remain steady. Now, honestly, when I'm reading your bio, it's shocking to me that you could, I mean, three kids, husband, Asia, and you took some time off, right? During this, during one of these periods. I did. It's it's incredible because I would, if it were me taking time out of my career, I would feel like I'm falling behind. Like, oh my gosh, you know, what, how, how did you get through that time? Like, what was your mindset to say, I can do this and come back. And by the way, when I come back, I'm going to conquer the world. I mean, did you, yeah, was that your so, mindset? I'm going to come back and conquer the world? <laughs> what, what was going on? My mindset has always been that I'm going to conquer the world. But, you know, by <laughs> before I took time off from work, I had risen to be only the fourth female in the history of PNG to be a VP and general manager because PNG is promote from within. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone was like, oh, Chris, you know, maybe someday you'll be CEO at PNG or CEO somewhere else. And uh, the problem was my twin boys both had serious medical problems. One needed to go to DuPage Easter Seals four days a week for two hours at a time. He was diagnosed with sensory integration disorder. And the other son had sleep anxiety, which meant he was waking up multiple times overnight and waking me up every time he woke up. And my husband was commuting with his job. So I was the primary person there to take care of him. And so I left work because I said, if my family can't be in the right place, how can I ever be in the right place? Mm. And the good news is the boys both got better. The bad news was I was out of work for two years and it was difficult being taken seriously because there had been no precedent for a woman who had scaled her career pretty quickly to take time off to then come back at that same level. And what's Mm -hmm. the best, and it's, but it's the best thing that ever happened to me because what happened is I got involved with private equity, which led to a fortune 500 role that was uh, very different uh, and a new uh, ground uh, Mm -hmm. for Sears holding company. Then I went back into private equity I've worked at small companies, big companies. I've learned how to deal with no budgets. I've learned how to be scrappy and agile, but I also know how to work in big companies like Newell. And I think it makes me a more successful manager today to have had that 360 degree experience as a manager and a leader than if I had spent my entire career only working for companies the size of Procter & Gamble. So that, it would, I would say it's, non-traditional to take two years off and come back. But, and, and then it's, it's almost like you, it seems like you embraced it. You're like, you know what, if I'm going to take two years off and come back, I don't have to just go back right to a big daddy fortune 50. I can go small company route. Like it seems, it, it seems like maybe once you took the time off and you're coming back, you just, 
that maybe it made you more open to pursue other things. Uh, some people would say, well, that's not the linear progression that a CEO should be following. Uh, it, it's, um, I think it expanded my brain to hmm. look at uh, business from many different angles. It helps me better understand small vendors that I work with and their constraints. Uh, it helps me understand big companies and their mindsets and approaches. It's just really made me agile. Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com slash turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download the simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. Yeah, one of the, it really sounds like a growth mindset uh, that you're applying to the situation, an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to grow. And, uh, you know, for the listeners out there, I mean, what a great example. If you're going through a time in your career that's challenging you in ways that you're not sure, you know, what the future is going to look like. I mean, Chris has got an example here where you can embrace it, find the opportunities for growth. And ultimately, from what I can tell, leverage yourself right into a <laughs> pretty amazing role. Uh, so congratulations. Uh, Thank you. There, Chris. So let's, I mean, what, what an amazing start to the interview. So let's, let's kind of fast forward just a little bit and dive into what's the one trait you wish you could instill in every employee and why do you think it's so important? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, it has to be curiosity. I would love it if the people around me every day would say, is there a better way to get this work done? How can I make it better? Is there a better way to meet consumer needs? How do I make them delighted and excited with my products? You know, I've often found that great innovators start first with a curious mindset. You know, when the uh, old Walkman was around, somebody was saying, hey, what if I could make it small and, you know, play music? Yeah. And Thank you, Steve cell Jobs. phone and all that came out of that kind of thinking. Yeah. Um, it's hard to find people who truly mm -hmm. are curious first as a trait, but I love to surround myself with people who are always thinking about how to do things better, but different. So from your perspective, do you believe curiosity is more nature or more nurture? I think it starts out as nature, mm. but if people constantly say to themselves, how could I do this better? How could I better excite my consumer? I believe you can also do some nurturing around curiosity. Yeah. Answered like someone that's done Six Sigma training. Right? <laughs> We're going to five Y this thing. <laughs> you know, I, I had a boss earlier on and I'm not going to go deep into it, but let's just say I thought I was thinking in college and I got in my first job and I quickly realized like I thought my job was to basically get a question, go find out the answer, and then just go relay relay what I what I found out. And this boss is like, Fanning, don't you ask me another question or bring me another problem until you've thought of three potential solutions. I don't care how crazy they are. 
And then he actually lit up a cigarette in a non-smoking facility and blew smoke in my face. I don't recommend that as leadership training, but he taught me to think that day. And it was amazing how I wouldn't say I wasn't, I mean, I would think I was curious, but I didn't really know how to connect it with the, with a, with the work environment. And he unleashed me to go think of possible solutions and get more curious in that moment. And I think part about being curious too, is not being obsessed with like being right, but about just keep ants, keep, keep asking questions and trying to formulate solutions. Um, That's right. When's the time in your career when you, when, where you feel like, you know what, curiosity gave me the edge in that moment to really, really. Make yes. So, happen. so when I was um, at Procter and Gamble, we launched a leaf pain reliever, which at the time was the largest arcs to OTC switch in the history. I've heard of, of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I led that. Yes. I led that arcs to OTC switch. Wow. But what I learned in looking at clinical studies, uh, understanding all of the different uh, ingredients associated with popping pain relief pills, there was a type of pain state called deep muscle tissue that was not resolved by pills. And what you really needed was you needed therapeutic heat and therapeutic heat was between 40 and 42 degrees centigrade. If it was below 40, it wasn't efficacious. If it was above 42, it burnt your skin, but you needed therapeutic heat, like in heating pads yeah, to really get at that deep muscle uh, tissue pain. So we got together all of the uh, leading engineers at PNG and we said, how can you get therapeutic heat? And the chemicals engineer said, you know, I think iron ore oxidizes somewhere around 41 degrees centigrade. And uh, if you keep air flowing over the iron ore, it will oxidize uh, over time. And we said, well, how can you get air to flow over iron ore at a consistent rate? And the paper guy said, hey, we just created this technology called breathable pampers. And we think that we can let air go through the pamper or the paper lining at a oh consistent rate. So we thought about it and we created Thermacare heat wraps, which is oh iron ore in pads that you wrap around your back or over your shoulder muscles. It gives out consistent heat that's therapeutic without burning your skin over an eight to 12 hour time frame. And so our curiosity about how to get to that deep muscle tissue pain created a whole new product for the marketplace. Oh, stop it. That is incredible. That is a cool story for your book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, by the way, when you take off a Thermacare heat wrap after 12 hours the next time, feel the little discs because the iron ore has hardened. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so it started with curiosity. Heat, iron oxide, and pampers. Yes, and it and created. I mean, that that is a really cool story, and um, what a great example that you can probably tell your your employees over and over again. You're like, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. This could so be I got, the next thermocare heat wrap. One. I got one more for you, which yeah. was truly uh, an inspiration. I worked on Craftsman. So you would think that I would remember that if you have a portable power tool, you have to uh, juice up the battery to be able to yeah. use. It. 
And so I went to hang some pictures in my house one day and my, ba- my battery was dead. And I'm like, oh, now I have to wait 30 minutes to recharge that battery and, you know, go about do other things. And so the very next day I was in at work and I said to the people who made my batteries, I said, could you just give me a quick boost charger or something where the battery, you know, can come back alive within a, how fast it takes me to drink a cup of coffee? Well, Craftsman did launch a quick boost charger. We figured out how to get the battery rewired into the charger, where if you put it in for three minutes, it would charge to 50% and give you an hour's worth of charge, which is what most people need when they're using portable power tools, you know, not not on a construction site, but for personal use. So you just got to keep thinking, how can I get there? Wow. Okay. A A lot of stuff going through my head here. So... One of the things that's coming up for me is you're a leader in the organization. You have a great problem and you know the problem so well. I mean, I don't know if you were having needed the heating pad situation for yourself. I know I sure love it occasionally, but we're hanging the pictures and then you're able to connect that with a business opportunity, but maybe it's not opportunity. Like you're bringing the question to the right people inside your company. So you've fostered those relationships. You've built a trust. They're not going to feel on the defensive when you bring them and you're saying, Hey, this battery thing's not working. You're able to approach them in a way like, Hey, this is interesting. And they respond. So is it, what I'm trying to believe, like in, in your mind, what is making that conversation possible? Because it's a cross-functional relationship in a big organization. Because I feel like big organizations aren't always good at innovating because they're just too darn big and there's too many silos. What What do you think's going on there? Yeah. So one of the things that has always helped me be successful is to look at what consumers actually do. So whether you're watching a mom get in a car and put her kid in a car seat, you know, as she's getting in, or if you're watching uh, somebody chop with a knife, you will see compensating behaviors. And it's in those compensating Mm. behaviors that you say, why do they do that? So I'll give you an example. Um, I went into several, um, uh, kitchens for restaurants when I, in a former job and to a T all of the sous chefs who do a lot of the chopping had rubber bands wrapped around the handle of their knife. And, you know, the first time I saw it, I thought the guy was just unusual. The second restaurant I went to, I'm like, why do you put those rubber bands around the knife? And they said to prevent getting calluses on my hand because I do so much chopping. And so that was a compensating behavior. So then we were able to say, well, how do we create a knife that when you grip it, it conforms to your hand, like with silicone material, without causing the friction of the chopping. And so if you approach people in the organization and say, why do you think that person does that compensating behavior? It helps people everywhere, whether it's in R&D or sales, say, gee, I wonder if they're doing it because of why. And then you say, well, what could we do to deliver why without having that compensating behavior in the middle? And it becomes a team effort. Nobody's telling anyone else what to do. 
we're all being curious about how can we solve that behavior. Well, that is extremely awesome because that can generate so much positivity. I, I, I get I actually listeners may find this weird. I'm getting a chill in the back of my neck because it's so cool to see collaboration happening in a no ego environment where you're about really trying to serve the customer. So much lip service is paid to the customer, this listen to the customer, blah, blah. but to actually see a problem, a compens- I love you say a compensating behavior. There may be not, they're not, they just, they just kind of came up with their own device and they're just trying to get through their job. And instead you've identified it, brought it to your team and you work together there. So, uh, Wow, that's a cool. So many cool stories here. Um, so let's 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 kind of run with that for a second. When employ when an employee has a has a big idea, so maybe they've they've seen identified a compensating behavior, some part in their life, but they're not very high up. They're not an executive level. Uh, what's your advice on how they should surface that or communicate that to the C suite? Yeah, so I'm going to come from two angles at that because um, I've seen it done really well and I've seen it done not so well. But first <laughs> Good, of all, I want to hear both those. I want to hear both. Yes. When, when people have great ideas, they need to be able to articulate it in four sentences or write it down in one paragraph because mm. if they want to elevate it up several layers of people in the organization. They have to respect that the people in the organization need a comprehensive but concise argument to be put in front of them. You know, I I run from meeting to meeting to meeting. If somebody wants to grab my ear and then starts going on and on and on for 20 minutes, it's really hard for me to give them the time of day, as opposed to if in two minutes they can tell me exactly what their big idea is. Um, Mm -hmm. So thing number one is really be comprehensive and concise and support your uh, idea with data or observations that you've made. The second thing is don't jump over two or three layers and, and say, here, CEO, here's my idea, because that makes you look like you don't um, respect uh, your boss or your boss's boss. You can tell them what you're doing. You can bring them along. They can say, oh, I wouldn't do that. And you still can go forward, but don't cause surprises between your Mm. level and the highest level that you're going to. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Because, well, first of all, going back to your first comment, four sentences, a paragraph, listeners, that is not easy to do. And it is way easier to write war and peace about your idea and be concise. So I would say focus and take the time to do that because if you've written, I mean, it's a real opportunity, but, but to distill it down into something I think is really powerful. And this is why Twitter is so, so popular, right? Because it's so distilled and and TikTok. Yeah. Right. 15 seconds or 40 seconds, whatever. So, TikTok your idea, tweet your tweet your idea. I mean, don't tweet it out, but I mean, put it in that format for the senior leader. And it sounds like that's a great one. Now, the other the other thing you posed, I think it's a really good point because a lot of times 
people believe, well, if I take my idea to my boss, you know, worst case, they will ignore it and not do anything with it. Or maybe even worst case, they'll take credit for my idea. And some people say, well, you should just let your boss take credit for your idea because we're all one big happy team. And but the, but I think deep down, they're like, oh, I'm not going to let my boss do this. I want the credit because I want to get promoted, which I, re I respect that idea. I like the fact that you said you're like, it's almost like you want, you're recommending that they invite their boss along for the ride. Like, hey, yes. I want to talk about this. I want you on board and I'll keep you updated. If you don't want to support it and you want me to be sort of hang my hat out there with this crazy idea. I'll keep you in the loop. So it's like you're inviting them to the party versus waiting on their approval to share your idea. Um, both can go wrong. I don't know. What's your perspective on, on that? I, on those, on that feedback there. Yeah, but they, they can go wrong, but if you're transparent, if mm -hmm. you're not trying to do any power plays, you're just saying, I've got this idea and I really want to elevate this idea to yeah. the top. Yep. And uh, you handle it well, the odds get much, much lower that it's going to go wrong on you. Yeah, great, great thing. You're trying to increase their probability of success. Yeah, like, you know, hey, you can do this. And the more you have in your party helping support the idea, the greater probability is. If you have your boss cheering you on and saying, yeah, this is great, more people are going to listen and take it seriously. Well, and you also, if you manage it that way, you get more input to the idea. So say you aren't as concise yep. as you should be, you know, the boss can help you uh, refine the idea to the point where it is a really strong, concise, articulate idea. Yeah. If they've been down that road before you, why not learn from them? They can help shortcut your success. I, I like that. What, what are a few other success strategies that you believe that employees need to be keeping in mind? Yeah, um, I have a lot of people come to me and say, you know, I'm, I'm just starting out, you know, what do I need to remember? Thing number one is really be clear on your strategy. There's a great book, um, the former two-time CEO of Procter & Gamble, A.G. Lafley wrote Playing to Win. And mm -hmm. it's probably the best book I've ever read about getting a clear strategy. And as part of strategy, you got to have the right skills and talents and the right business processes and systems, not just the strategies. So you have to have those other things to know you can deliver on it. So thing number one, clear strategy. Thing number two, focus. Um, I see a lot of people trying to boil the ocean. And really, there are probably only two or three things that are going to get you 80% of the way to the business objective or the business results you want to get. And then the last thing, and this is most critical, I call it be irreplaceable, but it really means make a difference. If you are on the team and you are hitting the singles and the doubles, you're not going to be benched. But if you're there filling a desk space without really adding value and contribution to the growth and the success of the organization, if you have to uh, reduce the size of your team, you're at risk. So really find a way to make a tangible difference so that you're irreplaceable. Yeah, great advice there. And all things within the control of every single person. Um, 
making a difference. If you don't feel like you are, then the good news is maybe you are, maybe you aren't, but get in that conversation with your manager, right? Or with, you know, with your mentor and say, Hey, am I making, I, I feel like I'm not, am I missing something? And sometimes the good news is maybe you are, maybe you show up every day working hard. You're just blind to it. Or on the flip side, they're like, you know what? Not really. <laughs> so then you can, you can engage them in what is going to make a difference because based on your work environment and the work situation and your role, sometimes it's hard to track your work back to the bottom line. And that's the universal language. And so, I mean, I think it's a great idea to make sure that you're focusing on making a difference and becoming irreplaceable. Yes. Um, you know, it's, and, it's and, a, and, you know, somebody once said to me, uh, my management didn't do enough career pathing for me. And I'm like, Hey, well, you own career pathing. You own going to your boss and saying, what does success look like? What skills should I be gaining yeah. experience? And a lot of people feel that they're the victims because their boss didn't come to them first. Um, and they aren't the victim. They need to be proactive about it. You know, and to your response to that, my response to that is, do you really want somebody else career pathing for you? Like, you know, you're hopefully you're on a journey to know yourself, right? Better than anybody. And I mean, I've had some great bosses and some not so great, but I wouldn't even want my best bosses career pathing for me. Right. Right. And I love your part about like, Hey, you got to get in that conversation because that's where the magic happens. And, and to expect that your boss is going to know your, your true heart's desire. That's scary, man. And like, don't expect them to read your mind. And uh, you got to get to know yourself and what you want. And then once you start to understand, I, I think most bosses and, and my team inside my company, I encourage them to like get in the conversation with me on what you're enjoying. If you're not enjoying the work, I'm not saying I can't, I'm, I may not be able to take you off that right now, but I'm thinking ahead for you and seeking opportunities and we can play this game together. But Please don't show up on Monday saying I'm frustrated or else I'm going to quit. Like, right. like, give me some heads up on, on how we're going to manage this together. And I think most bosses, like, and I'm curious from your perspective, like you, you have their best interests in mind. Like you want to work with them, but you can't read their mind, especially 8,500 people or however many people are in $2.6 billion in revenue, 8,500 people in employees' minds. You don't read one of them. Right. But if you engage your boss and say, hey, help me garner the skills I need to have, mm. help me identify what I need to be doing to enable the organization to be successful. When you do that, you just made that boss more committed to your career. Nice. Because it's human nature to, you know, want to help somebody who wants to be helped. I love that. Assume that the universe is conspiring in your favor, but you got to get on board and help it. That, yep. that is tremendous. So Chris, I got so many more questions, but we don't have a lot more time, especially with your schedule. What's, what is the cherry on top? What is the last important, uh, a thought or idea or story that you'd like to share today? Yeah. Um, you know, I recently was asked to pen a piece on a book cover 
for a book that came out. And the book was called Good Comes First. It was written mm -hmm. by Chris Edmonds and Mark Babbitt. Um, the book showcased real case uh, scenarios of building culture and creating great culture. And I guess my parting guidance to people is make sure you're really building a culture of high engagement. Because if you do, you are setting your business much higher on track to be successful. The statistics are all out there. If you have a company that has employees who are highly engaged in the company's culture and feel like they belong, those companies are likely to outperform companies with low cultures. So that last piece of advice I'd give is really look at what you're doing as a leader or what you're doing as an employee growing into leadership roles to help build culture in an organization because it is mission critical to ensuring success. Yeah, that I think that's a great place to, to, to really wind the interview up because it all leads to that. Uh, culture is what ties all the relationships you know, having a culture of curiosity, all those things that you want to instill in the employees, it's where it all comes together and, and ideally manifests in a positive bottom line outcome for everybody. Yep. Chris, thank you for this fun interview today. Well, thank you. I, I hope you have many more great interviews, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Okay, bye-bye. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.